Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. I'm joined today by my good buddy, Randy Milligan. Randy goes to work every day as a CPA where he's a principal in Arkansas, but his real passion lies in farming for turkey and deer at his property in Kansas. Today we're going to discuss what he sees as an essential habitat for turkeys. This information should be just as helpful for public land turkey hunters as it is for people on private. It should be a great conversation, but first let's get to some listeners' questions. The first questions we got from our listeners is what kind of calls do you like to use? And so for me, I'll take a stab at it, and then I'm going to throw it over to Randy to kind of see how, how our, our kits kind of compare and then how they, they defer. Uh, so what kind of calls do I like to use? Uh, being a, a you know, elk caller that, that's kind of transitioned over to turkey, really have a love for turkey, uh, I always have two or three diaphragms. And with that said, I like to have one that's, that's fairly heavy, you know, a fairly raspy call, and then I like to have one that's pretty clean for, for light, subtle calling. Um, I'm always going to have at least one pot call on me with a couple different strikers, and then I'm going to carry a box call. So on those windy days, you know, out here in the Pacific Northwest, we have really dense, you know, vegetation in some of the areas we hunt, and we really want to reach out and touch them. We'll we'll grab that high-pitched, you know, loud box call. With that said, I would say 80% of the time we're running diaphragms. Uh, but there's just certain birds where that pot call or that box call is kind of the ticket and you got to kind of stick with it. But um, that, that's kind of my setup. Keep it really simple. You know, there's a lot of different, you know, um, shake gobble calls. There's, you know, the spring loaded, you know, cluckers and stuff like that. But I, I keep it pretty, pretty, uh, you know, plain with some diaphragms, a pot call with a few strikers and, and a box call. What do you use, Randy, um, as far as what calls do you like to use? You know, I've, I'm kind of like you, but I have a pouch full of mouth calls. So I have several mouth calls. I may have five or six different mouth calls. I, I normally carry two, at least two pot calls. One of them will be a slate call. One of them might be a glass or, you know, something like that with several strikers. And I, and I too carry one box call. Now I use mine a little different where in the mornings when I'm sitting on a roost and I'm close to it, I normally always use that pot call. Yep. I can get as low as I can. It's quiet. I don't want to be very loud, so I'm using that pot call. Once that turkey hits the ground, I'm normally going to a diaphragm because I, you know, I don't have to move my hands. Yeah, I, I, I feel comfortable calling that mouth, you know, with a diaphragm. And then I keep a box call. A lot of times I'll hunt different states. If I'm in Texas or something, or in Kansas, as you know, you came out and hunted with me last year. It can get very windy. So in the middle of the day, I may hit that box call where, you know, I can make it pretty loud. Yep. So, uh, but yeah, I, I try to, I don't really use a, a shake tube or anything like that. It, those, those are my three go-to calls. 
Perfect, perfect. I you brought up a point. Um, you know, turkeys on the roost. It, it's it seems to have been like my Achilles heel. If if I call to a bird on the roost, my chance of killing them seems to be, you know, very very slim. What's your success in calling birds off the roost? Um, you know, with some light, you know, tree yelping, and, and and some you know real light calling. Like, do you have good luck with that, or do the turkeys just tend to do what they want to do and go the opposite direction? Um, if you make a peep. You know, I, I, I've had luck on the roost, and I still, I was in Texas last year, and, and a buddy and I doubled off the roost, uh, called them into us. But, uh, you, you know, I start, I kind of let the turkeys tell me what to do. Uh, if I'm sitting on a roost and the gobblers are gobbling, the hens aren't making any noise, I'm not really making a lot of noise. You, you know, I'm going to let that gobbler know where I am sitting there. I try to get as close as the roost I can without bumping them, but... Uh, Yep. You know, I'll let that gobbler know where I am and and then, you know, cut it off. Now, if the hens get real vocal, I'll normally get pretty vocal. So I just kind of let the turkeys tell me what I'm going to do. There you go. The two questions we got are both related around calls, and, and there's not a lot of um, other information around this one, but how important are calls? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of add to this question. So how important are calls as far as, if it was like calls versus, you know, habitat and, you know, turkey population or, you know, how important are calls to your success could have been another way to, to kind of put that out there. But we'll just, I'm going to let you answer this one first, uh, Randy. How important are calls um, to you as far as spring turkey season goes? You know, I'm, I'm, I would tell you if I was saying what's the most important as a turkey hunter, I'd say the woodsmanship. You know, to get around in the woods, where to set up to get on the ridge in front of him, things like that. What I enjoy about the calls, and the reason I try to be good at it, and I can't say that I'm a great caller, but I, I you know, I've killed a lot of turkeys and I, I practice quite a bit with a call. I want to be able to know when to call, when not to call. And when it is time to call, I want to be able to use it and, and be able to use it without, you know, sounding like somebody scratching a chalkboard. Yep. And so... I, I've over the years have practiced with a call and I want to make sure the three calls you talked about, the mouth call, the slate call, and the box call, I try to be efficient at all three of them. Now, as long as you're efficient at one of them, I think a lot of people can, you know, will kill turkeys. I don't think it's the most important, but I, I think that uh, calling and woodsmanship are the, the, the best, you know, the two things out there that you got to be pretty decent at. Yep. Yep. For sure. Um, you know, I, I love to make the calls the most important, but just like you, you know, woodsmanship, um, you know, understanding of what that turkey wants to do throughout the day from the time they, you know, come out of the roost to feed, to, you know, uh, you know, following his flock to, you know, that, that Tom breaking off later in the season, you know, all of that stuff is, yeah. is, is quite a bit more important. And, uh, you know, like, uh, Chris and Dirk's bird last year, you know, it, I would have loved to say we called those things all the way across the field, but we spotted them, um, worked the terrain, you know, worked the, the vegetation, got set up and, you know, let those turkeys do their own thing, you know, ultimately led to us bagging those turkeys. So, you know, I, I love to call turkeys in the spring, but just like you, I think there's a lot of other stuff that, that may be more important to, you know, to being successful. All right. Well, now that we got those two user questions out of the way, let's jump into kind of the reason, you know, the main reason we brought you on. And, and don't let Randy fool you out there. Uh, he's a great turkey caller, knows what to do, uh, you know, makes the right noises. Uh, you know, he can call for me any day. But, uh, you know, it's more of what do the turkeys need? Um, you know, there there's areas we've we've all seen it lately. You know, your your own home state, uh, well, not your home state, the state you hunt in the majority of the time, Kansas, um, seems like the the population's way down. You know, Missouri's trying to figure out right now why their turkey populations you know way down. And so, you know, one of the questions that needs to be answered is what do turkeys need? What do turkeys need to thrive? What do turkeys need just to get by and live? Um, you know, what's required, what's preferred, what do they prefer? Um, there's a lot of different answers, but that's kind of what we're going to tackle with you today, Randy, is a guy that sets out and, and just being able to spend, you know, five, what, four or five days at your property and just kind of see everything that's been built for the, you know, the deer and the turkeys out there. Um, 
you know, be a great guest just to, to go over, you know, some of these questions we have and then get your opinion um, since you've got to, you know, monitor the property and, and kind of see what they do like and where they do prefer to go and how you've been able to keep, you know, your numbers on your own property so high compared to, you know, the surrounding properties. Jason, I there's so turkey populations and you're correct. You know, I, I read them in WTF and all these states, the numbers are down and and a lot of areas, and even in my area in southeast Kansas, we used to have a two-bird limit, and now we're down to one-bird limit. And, you know, there's so much that goes along with that, you know, raising a turkey, as I call it. And you've been on my place. I try to make it better. Every year, I try to do something different. And if it's planting, you know, gobbler sawtooth trees, which I have several planted chestnut trees, I mean, turkeys love acorns. Yep. But, you know, one of the things you notice when you're out there, you know, I've got 30, 40 acres of food plots and 50 percent of them are in clover, turkeys bug. And I've got a lot of other acreage and, you know, that's not clover in fields uh, that I will mow strips in where a turkey can walk down a strip with her poults and bug. But if danger's close, she can run right into the tall grass. So yep. I do a lot of things like that. One of the things I did, I started years a few years ago, is I do a lot of hinge cutting. You hear people talk about hinge cutting. I try to do uh, timber management, where a lot of people don't do that. You know, a lot of people go out and do food plots. They put feeders out there. But timber management's very important. You know, but give them that nest area where a turkey can go into that treetop and nest and, and hopefully, you know, go unseen and... Uh, the other thing I think, you know, I hear people talk about, you know, is it farm chemicals? What's killing these turkeys? Why there's not as many? And, and I'll still go back and people disagree, but I think predator control is the main thing. You know, I, I, I grew up coon hunting and man, you could sell a coon pelt for $20 and kids like me were going out coon hunting, selling, you know, coon pelts. And now no, they're not buying coons and in, in, in the pelts and they're just everywhere. I, yep. I mean, I can put out a hundred cameras and there'll be 20 coons on almost every camera if I've got food out. Yeah. I think last year when we were there, uh, you know, we seen your one camera that we were watching for turkeys had coons that kept showing up. And I think we, we bumped some raccoons off of one of the feeders and, uh, yeah, it seems like that's a, a big issue back there for sure. It is. And I think predator control is something that I, I know, you know, from a duck standpoint, I know a Ducks Unlimited is really working on predator control. I know NWTF is. But I, I think that that's probably the number one reason you see a lot of decline. And uh, But, you know, from the food habitat, you know, I try to provide them a lot of acorns, which in southeast Kansas, I happen to been fortunate and bought some farms that had a lot of oak trees on it, white, white oak and, and red oak. I try to do half of my food plots in clover. Again, I try to mow strips so they can hide, they can bug because, you know, you go up there in the summertime in June and July and, and, and there's as long as you got the, the grass motors, grasshoppers everywhere. It's fun to watch those little posts just get out and start chasing them around. And uh, so, you know, I just try to provide them all the food and cover and, and I can provide them. Yeah, gotcha. And I'm going to do my best, uh, my best Bob Ross to kind of uh, verbally describe your property, Randy, and, and some of the stuff you mentioned. You know, you don't see big, large tracks of anything on your property. Like to me, being a being a guy from out, you know, on the Pacific Coast, where you know we've got industrial timberlands, we're growing, you know, forty to fifty year old. Douglas fir and, and hemlock forest, it, you kind of get the same thing over and over until you're down in the river bottoms. But when you go to your place in Kansas, what I loved about it is it, it doesn't seem to be, you know, a hundred acres of clover, you know, your clover and your, your cut corn and, you know, where you, you kind of mix clover in with like a planted, um, you know, alfalfa or hay field, everything was broken up in a way where those turkeys felt comfortable. You know, you might have a, a hundred, 100 foot to 100 yard wide strip, but then they've got hardwoods right next to it. And then like where I killed my turkey, you, know, you left a, a standing cut cornfield, which it wasn't very big. It was only what, three or four acres. Mm -hmm. And then it was surrounded by a hedgerow and hardwoods. And then you go to the corner of it and then you enter into like a two acre clover field. And it was just kind of cool to see how, 
you know, where, where people out West, if there's ag, it's, it's like forever where you're looking, it seems like with your, your food plots um, and the way that you're harvesting, you know, you know, some of the crops that it really is, you know, it, it's not, it's not just wide open. It, it's strategically placed. Um, the, the birds and the deer have a, a ton of security, um, which kind of is going to get into our next question, Randy, is like, what's the most important? Is it the food? Is it the roost? Is it the security in nesting? You know, w- what is that? And, and moments before I killed my bird on your place last year, um, we were walking down one of your old uh, farm roads and we kind of spotted a hen up ahead, maybe a couple hundred yards and we were kind of watching her and not wanting to really spook birds in case something else was with her. And we walked up there, gave her enough time, and she just kind of disappeared. Um, and and I don't know whether you designed this into your property or not, but that you had kind of a pile of of logs there that were kind of leftovers. And we had all kind of confirmed we thought that that hen was nesting inside that pile of logs. So whether you designed that or not, like your your property is so broken up and so you know unique that it's it's opportunities like that where that hen picked that pile of logs to nest. Like, what is the most important there, Randy? Is it is it food? Is it roost? Or is there is there not one that's most important? Is it, in your opinion, like they're all equals? I think it's a combination. Uh, you know, I try to provide them all of that, and uh, even the you know the food, the cover. Turkey's got to have cover. I mean, you think about a turkey. Everything out there is trying to hunt it. I mean, coons and possums are eating their nests. Skunks are eating their nests. You got hawks and birds, you know, killing them when they're small, killing them when they're big. I mean, hoot owls are trying to kill them. They have got to have somewhere to nest. And so I try to make that when I do hinge cutting, do a lot around the edges of my food plots, just like that pile. You know, that was just some logs there, an old tree that I piled up where a hen can run away. She's out there with her poults and, and they're out there in that little clover field around those trees. And, you know, a hawk, uh, is flying over, she can run them right into that tree log. And, and uh, it, so I tried, I think it's a combination of all. It's hard to just pick one. You know, I, I believe you can have all the cover you can, but if you don't have any food for them, you, you know, it's it's just as detrimental for them. So I think it's a little bit of combination of all of them. For sure, for sure. And Randy, can you explain hinge cutting for all of our listeners that might not know what that is? You know, hinge cutting is is... I, I go out in a, in a piece of ground and, and I try not to really do, you know, 20 or 30 acres of it. I'll do a few acres here and there. I go out and you see a lot of old trees that are about as big as my leg or, you know, just not huge trees, but there may be hickory nut trees or they may be some tree that's not producing. Basically, I always say if it's not producing an acre, I'm going to hinge cut it. I'm going to cut it about belt high instead of cutting it all the way through when it starts to tip over, I just push it on over. So it's still, it's, it's actually still growing for a few years. Uh, and it's laying on the ground and a lot of deer and turkeys can nest in it. And for several years, even though that tree is laying down, uh, you know, bent over, as I say, it's still growing its leaves every year and turkeys can get in there. Deer love to eat on it. Deer love to always say like a cedar tree. I don't hinge cut cedars. I only do, you know, the, what I call the ugly tree, but uh, they like to get in there and put their back up against it. You know, they can, uh, I killed this year, we're talking about turkeys, but I killed a 175 inch buck this year and I'd hinge cut a piece of property last year of about five acres and he walked right out of it, right to me, gotcha. you know, and that thrilled me to know he was bedded up in that, that, you know, thicket. Gotcha. Yeah. And I remember we walked down off of that one really heavy Oak Ridge and we walked down across and I, I, I don't, I don't want to misquote you but i think you said like every every uh, oak tree that was bigger than a certain like 18 inches breast height you were taking them down because they were no longer producing in that bottom is that do i remember that correct that you were you were taking down some of those medium-sized oaks throughout that that bottom well the larger ones i, I had a timber guy come in and again i try to do all the timber management i can if they're really 25 inches and again some people will say they got to be a little bigger if they're 25 inches or bigger, uh, I, I let him cut them. And, and uh, I use a guy that is, he's a hunter. He's a timber guy. He understands them. He'll come and mark them. And when he marks them, he and I walk through there and make sure I agree with the ones he marks. And But he he's cutting the really big trees. And, and you know, it's, a, it's always amazing how much better my hunting's got over the several years as I'm doing timber management. 
when I cut that big tree out of there, there's three or four smaller trees that are that are around it that all of a sudden really starts producing good acorns. You know, that 10, 12, 15 inch tree starts producing. So, you know, it's, like I said earlier, timber management is something I think a lot of people miss out on that I think really has improved my wildlife. Gotcha. Perfect. Perfect. So now that we kind of have talked a little bit, you know, that food, roost, you know, security, nesting, you know, everything that you're providing on your property is there. Um, as far as food, um, let's let's just put you in a scenario like we're going to let go a, a band of wild turkeys and they can go veer off a little bit to the left and go get in a clover field or they can go straight ahead and get into like a, a chufa field. Um, they can go to the right and get in like an alfalfa field. Um, in your opinion, like what is the best food source? I know you've already touched on clover a little bit and, you know, the, the bugging and then, um, you know, using the clover for food. But is have you found that, you know, turkeys prefer certain foods at certain times of the year or is it really just hit and miss for the area and they can be found in, in all of them? Well, I think it depends on where they are, you know, where they're located. I, I grew up hunting Missouri, you know, as a college kid and, and chased them all over public ground and Mark Twain and they had a lot of acorn flats, you know, white uh, white oak and red oak flats. And you take my farm, you know, we killed we killed that bird of Chris and Dirks. That, you know, they doubled on a clover field. You know, we come over the hill. I could see them way down there with binoculars. And I told you, these birds are coming to this clover. And what was cool about that video where those hens were just out there with those gobblers just bugging everywhere. The hens were bugging and the gobblers were just strutting with them. And... Uh, but there's a lot of time, like you killed yours 10 o'clock in the morning. And when he first gobbled, he was in the clover field. So he had been out there bugging 10 yep. o'clock in the morning. And when he heard us call and Chris Parrish, I think, was calling at the time. And, you know, most turkeys are probably going to come to Chris when he's calling. But uh, being a world champion, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, he come across that cornfield and and right to you. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it depends on where the location is. You know, if a. A turkey is in a wooded area or, or uh, grown-up cattle fields because they love to bug, you know, and cattle and chase grasshoppers, and and uh, they may not even have any clover. Uh, so it all depends where that turkey is located. And I've hunted several states where I hunt Texas. I mean, you can't find a clover within 20 miles where I'm hunting. So I'm hunting cattle pastures with grasshoppers, you know, so it's just difference of where you're hunting. Yep, yep. Where we hunt here in uh, northeast Washington, you know, very, very little ag, you know, just along kind of the county roads. And then you kind of shoot up into the mountains where it's, you know, ponderosa pine and just kind of your native grasses and stuff. And, you know, trying to figure out where those birds want to be and that stuff is sometimes difficult because it, it looks, you know, the same for, you know, miles and miles and miles. Um, but you eventually figure out, you know, draws and, and ridge tops and, and some of that stuff, you know, where they prefer to be, even though there's a vast, um, you know, never ending supply of, of native grasses and, and, uh, you know, pine trees and whatnot. So yeah, yeah. Same thing. You got to just kind of adapt to the area. Um, even though I do kind of always like being close to somewhat, you know, some part of ag, um, seems to be, and, and make those turkeys a little more predictable, but, um, you know, you just got to kind of adapt to, to those. Um, so one thing I want to touch on, you know, the, the intent of this podcast is to hopefully help, you know, the listeners be more successful is how do you use the habitat to hunt the turkeys? As far as so we've went over like everything that the turkey wants for food and security and roost trees and, you know, how they can set up their own daily routine, you know, based on the habitat. But how do you use that to, to give you an advantage, Randy, as you kind of put the day's plan together or, you know, that hunt plan together? You know, in in the mornings, Jason, I'm I'm going to go. You know, where I hunt normally, even when I hunt Missouri or I hunt Kansas, I hunt Texas. I know where a lot of the turkeys going to roost. I'm going to try to find them on the roost and and go there and get as close as I can in that morning. And most of the time, you, you know, they're they're in the woods a lot of times on a creek bottom, and they're going to come down to you know in those woods somewhere. In the middle of the day, a lot of times I'm going to go to a specific clover field or a cornfield. You know, the day you killed your bird, we were headed really to the clover field and and the cornfield, you know, still had uh, had corn in it, you know, standing corn and things. So we set up there because it had been raining, if you remember that day. And yep. and uh, I like to hunt till about noon, truthfully. 
Over older I get, I try not to hunt in afternoons. I try not to hunt roost sites in the afternoon. I want to give them a break, and and that's kind of when we go crappie fishing. But in the afternoons, but uh, yeah, I will try to hunt off the roost in the mornings. And once you know, if the turkeys in the first second week in April in Kansas, it, it, they'll stay in the woods for a while. So I enjoy getting into timber and hunting them. But in the middle of the day, I'll go to the food plots. I'll go to that clover field because I think those hens are coming to bug. Gotcha. And and I'll you know, so I I kind of know I've hunted there over twenty years. I kind of know where to go up there where they're going to be. Yeah, and one thing that I liked on your place is that we kind of hung around that same area. And you know, we did a lot of calling. You know, Chris did a lot of calling early in that morning, and and things weren't working. We got close a couple times, and those hens kind of did the same routine. Um, when uh, Chris and Dirk were able to kill their birds, they kind of pulled those toms right past us. They didn't really care. But, you know, one thing is, as I get older, I'm convinced and talking with, uh, you know, some turkey experts like Mike Chamberlain is those those toms, you know, later in that season, they know that you were around that area. And once their hens go to lay, they may come back looking for you. And so, like you said, you know, calling in that area and then staying there, you know, throughout the, the late morning um, could definitely be to the hunter's benefit, you know, not to leave the area or go find new birds, but kind of, continue that play that you played on the morning um, and get them to come back and, and see if you're still around. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, you know, I, I like to, a lot of times even, you know, if if I know the birds are really hand up, you know, we'll go eat breakfast, be gone about an hour, hour and a half, and give them time to do their thing, get them bread, and, and hopefully the hens will leave them. You know, and later this season, it, it's a little easier to do. You go back to the same exact same spot and the turkeys were gobbling i couldn't tell you how many times i had a buddy uh, a couple of years ago we were down in kansas about the same spot dirks and chris had killed their birds we were down the ridge a little ways and uh we had five long beards with about 15 hens hug, hung up in the woods and they gobbled uh, probably to 8 30 never moved jason we went back to the house, ate breakfast, got back about 11, call, 11 o'clock. I called. They were in the same spot. You, you know, it, it's amazing. Turkeys don't move a lot. Uh, they can be in the same spot for hours, and you think they're gone, and two hours later, they're still on the same ridge. Yep. You know, so yep. uh, the key is you just got to stay after them. You know, you got to get after them. And one of them's going to make a mistake. Yeah, that day I think we started, we touched everywhere those turkeys were. And they, when we came back at, I believe we showed up at what, two o'clock, those turkeys yeah. were right back in the same spot. They had never left there. They just walked a circle around us yeah. all day. Um, yeah, so that was that was pretty cool. And uh, so on that day, I want to ask you specifically about that situation, Randy, and whether we know the answer or not, we'll take our best stab at it. You know, so we should, you know, later in, well, I guess it was, what was it, May 7th and 8th we were there? Um, a little bit later in you know in the season, and those those hens were still with the birds you know, out till one and two o'clock. Do you feel that those hens had already went to nest and then came back, or were they just uh, not being bred yet? Like, what was the reason those hens were hanging on to those toms so long um, that day? You know, one we have a lot of hens down there, so you know that morning they may have bred several of them, and several of them went to roost and and. Several of them uh, may have not have been bred yet. So, you know, when if you remember when we were down there, you, you could hear hens all in the woods. Yep. And uh, those two turkeys, you know, they we had four or five hens just struck, you know, walk right by us bugging. And um, so I would think probably several of the hens they had bred had gone to nest. I mean, May the seventh in Kansas. I mean, a lot of hens are sitting on nests. And uh, but. There's so many hens in there. I, I would imagine they were still with them. And you know, early, Jason, I, I've seen uh, I've seen turkeys up there with uh, several hens set under a couple of trees out in an open field. They'll be there for hours and never move. Gotcha. So I, I think you know, depending on what the time of the year is, those, those gobblers aren't leaving, leaving those hens very often. Gotcha. Now you going back up there May 28th or 29th? You know, those those hens would have definitely left those gobblers and gone sit on a net, more than likely.
O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth there's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids with over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You know, my favorite time here in Washington to hunt, um, you know, you would always get all amped up for opening day, April 15th. You wanted to be in the woods, and then you realized, one, everybody else is, you know, just as excited for opening day. So the woods, uh, you know, are just a mess with people everywhere. Number two, you would find a gobbler, and he wouldn't leave those hens for nothing. And so we kind of just developed that plan. Like, we found out the best time for us to hunt was early May here, um, just because you, you, the crowds. But then almost... You know, we always picked that first weekend in May, which was typically, you know, somewhere between, you know, first to the seventh, whatever that is. And and almost always by, I would say, 10 or 11 o'clock, we would almost have, you know, hen-free gobblers. They would they would go off to lay, and then we would have him all to ourselves. You know, there were a few times, and I don't know if that's because we're, you know, but it would it would seem to be opposite. Like further north, we're a little bit later than you guys. But um, yeah, I was just a little surprised to to see those two hens kind of you know or, or three hens kind of leading the show there in the in the mid afternoon. Yeah, and those gobblers were not going to leave them either. I nope, mean, nope. it was pretty <laughs> watching them strut all the way. You know, they came the length of that big road there, all the way down in that clover field, and we set up on the south end of it, and they they came strutted all the way down to us. I know you have it on video, and it's pretty cool to watch. Yeah, it was a really cool, you know, just to watch them come through that clover and just kind of, you know, spitting and drumming and just puffed up the whole way was was pretty cool to watch. And then Chris and Dirk made great shots and doubled up there, and uh, yeah, a, a great hunt. So we touched on it a little bit. Um, I'm going to dive a little bit deeper into Predators because I know, you know, talking with you before the show, um, we feel that that may be the biggest issue currently, um, you know, that, that's that's given just these wild turkeys a fit right now um you know everything from the coons the possums the everything that we've have here you know what's the solution is it just the landowners or the hunters themselves you know the same reason we hunt coyotes out here because they they wreak havoc on you know the the young fawns and calves i mean are we just going to have to 
to take it into our own hands? Is that the solution is to just take care of these predators regardless of, you know, the pelts being worth anything or, you know, a possum is never going to be worth a dang thing. Um, Like what's a solution to taking care of this, Randy? Is it, is it people just, you know, doing it because it's the right thing to do for the wild turkey? Um, Or is there anything else we can do to, to, to help fend off these predators? Well, you know, I think, and it, there's two parts of that, you know, in a way there's private landowners and I think a lot of private landowners can do more trapping. And, and I know in Kansas in the area I'm in up there this weekend, they're having a, a cow competition. Whoever b- kills the most cows and brings them in, you know, wins a prize because cows are rough on turkeys too. And, and, and I've never seen anything kill a turkey as fast as a bobcat can. And, yeah. uh, and, and I say, so I think you got the private landowner that I think just has to be more aggressive in their trapping. But on public ground, I, I think that the game and fish, you know, commissions of these states have to, to back up and look at some programs they have and what can they do to really urge people to do more trapping, more coon hunting, more things like that. And, and uh, you know, Arkansas has a bad problem with hogs and, and, I know our game and fish is really spending a lot of time and effort trying to figure out how are we going to control those. And, but it's the same thing when it comes to, to coons and, and coyotes and bobcats and everything. I mean, they're, those predators are tough on turkeys. So, I mean, as a private landowner that grew up hunting public ground, which I still enjoy doing, I, I, think, uh, I think it's going to take two sides. I mean, the private landowner and the the game and fish commissions to to get serious about this predator control all right randy now that we've kind of hit on you know the private habitat and what turkeys prefer if you can create kind of the ideal situation which you have there on your place um you know growing up you've hunted a lot of public kind of where the majority of us out west get to do our turkey hunting what would you say is the most important, um, you know, we can still use habitat to our advantage on the public ground. Like, what do you look for when you're, you know, either e-scouting or boots on the ground? Like, are you looking for some of the same stuff, like a feed area versus where are they going to come out of the roost versus, you know, where they want to spend their day, you know, scratching and, and bugging? Like, explain to me a little bit about your public land approach, but still using habitat um, to, to help you out. You know, that's a good question. I, I, I still hunt some public ground. I, I grew up, like I said earlier, on, in college hunting Mark Twain National Forest up in Missouri, which I still, you know, think is some great hunting. You can find a lot of birds on some of that public ground. And and I, I think there's so many people. I've been blessed. And as you said earlier, I, I joke with people that I only work to pay for my hunting hobby, you know, <laughs> but I've been blessed yep. there. So I do have my own own property but you know growing up hunting public ground there's a lot of people that still hunt public ground and and i i elk hunt on public ground a lot of times and and i use you know you can go out there and get the onyx hunt map and a lot of these maps and so when i'm going on public ground i'm using these maps to figure out where these ridges are you know uh where the creeks are are lie within in that area I'm, i'm i'm hunting and and so Mark Twain, I'll use them. I'll brag on Missouri. I'm not from Missouri. I'm from Arkansas, but I've hunted up there for years. And I think their game and fish did a really good job with their public grounds on their Mark Twain National Forest. And and I know in Arkansas, we have a lot of public ground and in a lot of states. And I think that's so important that public ground is provided to, you know, residents of that state to, to come and hunt. And, uh, so I used to, I live I lived pretty close to the Missouri line in Arkansas when I grew up, so we could get up there in about an hour. And, you know, back then in those days, we didn't have the Onyx maps. I mean, we had paper maps and we'd lay it down and figure out, okay, I'm going over here on this ridge and you go over on that ridge. And I think that's the key because a lot of those public grounds, you're hunting acorn flats. And, uh, and once you get in there and you find where them turkeys are, they're going to be in there most of the time if, if you're hunting a ridge like that. But, you know, a lot of the game and fish in the states, and I think that's always been good on in, in Missouri and Arkansas and Kansas, there's a lot of control burning. And that control burning, it's amazing how fast turkeys come in there after after woods are burned or grasses are burned. And, and so... 
I know in Kansas, we do a lot of control burning. We, we burn a lot of our properties up there. And I think that really does help with a lot of the, the uh, turkey population. But yeah, when I'm hunting public ground, I'm normally using a map trying to figure out, okay, uh, where do I need to go in here? And, and probably nothing better, Jason, than calling a buddy or someone that hunted that area and say, hey, I'm up here for a few days. You know, send me to the right spot. Yep, yep. I've always told people hunters get along with hunters. It, it, it There's not a lot of jealousy there. You know, I want you to kill a turkey as bad as I want to kill a turkey. Yep. A lot of times I want my grandson, I, I want my grandson to kill a turkey more than I want to kill a turkey. You yeah. Know? So, uh yeah, I think you guys out in the Midwest might be uh, better guys than us out west because I think it's the opposite. Like people out here want to, you know, they want to they they want to do everything themselves. Don't want to share. It doesn't seem as much, but I know that's that's good on you that you know everybody's trying to help each other back there, and uh, um, that's pretty cool because you know that's that's what I love about turkey hunting as well is just you know being able to go out with some good buddies, you know, hang out. It seems to be a little bit more relaxed than big game hunting, but it's it's still hunting and it's still a great chess match with a you know a worthy opponent you know those dang wild turkeys they get a bad rap on you know being a dumb bird or why can't you guys kill one they're standing all over the the you know the edge of the road or the fence line and i'm like these turkeys might be the dumbest bird until you put a shotgun in your hand and then they become like the smartest bird you know they instantly change at the point where you're trying to kill one well i got some friends in arkansas that go up to kansas not far from me to hunt on public ground and, and jason they kill birds every year i mean these are good hunters you know give them credit but they're hunting public ground. They're, they don't have private ground. And so there's a lot of, I, I, I love reading magazines when it talks about a state just, you know, bought and put 4,000 acres of public ground in, you know, for hunters. I mean, that that's exciting. And, and I hope the states keep doing that because that so many people have to hunt there. And, and again, yep. when I grew up hunting, that's all we had to hunt. We, we couldn't, we didn't own private land, you know. Yeah, and that's that's a good segue into my next question. Um, out west, you know, we're hunting the majority of, of public ground. You know, if you're lucky enough, you might be able to to get you know onto a piece of property for maybe a youth season, or if you know a family friend, you might have a a little piece of uh, of private you can get on. But the majority of the time, we're we're running and gunning on um, you know public ground, big vast chunks of property with turkeys that aren't you know they're they're three four miles in on a road, which is is great, but one question I've always had, and I, I haven't really figured it out yet, but you know, on on big, wide, open country, um, you know, the turkeys need to go grab water if the area isn't holding small pockets of water. Um, our turkeys here seem to travel a long ways to go get you know to a puddle or to a small creek um, and get their daily water. Like, what have you found? Have you have you had a chance to hunt out in more of that open country, you know, drier country where these birds are having to go, you know, a fairly long distance from roost? To, to food, to water, and how does that kind of affect your hunt? Is these turkeys aren't just sitting in one spot uh, like they were on your property. They're moving, you know, a mile a day or you know a mile and a half on, on their on their routine. You know, I've hunted out midway or further out, like you're talking about, up in northern Nebraska, Iowa, and in, in different places where you're hunting the Merriam turkey. And I assume you're hunting the Merriam turkey where yep, you. Yep, yep, yeah, we have Merriams up up in the northeast corner where I'm hunting Easterns here, but when I go out there to hunt Merriam's, I will say I work, I walk a lot more out there than I do in Kansas or Arkansas or Missouri. I do a lot of walking and a lot of calling and walking. And, and those birds travel a lot more than the Eastern Turkey does. And, uh, but you, you know, it, it's the same way when I go out there and I'm hunting, I'm looking at a map trying to figure out where the creeks are, where the water is, you know, where where would they be? Is there a cornfield? Is there a, a, a farmer that's got a clover field or alfalfa field? I, I'm using that map to find uh, those turkeys. And But you're, you're right. You know, you, you got to, I hunt Rio's in Texas, South Texas. Every year I hunt Rio's. And they're a lot like a Merriam. Uh, I mean, I could cover 10, 11 miles a day. You know, we, my buddy is, and I wear watches, tell us how far we've gone. We may walk 11 miles in one day chasing Rios. So you just got to be ready to move, depending on what type of bird, you know, you're hunting. 
So you've had the same experience where you're hunting those Merriams or Rios um, that we have in the northeast corner. It you, you you lace your boots up a little tighter that morning than you know the the easterns that I grew up with right here around my home. You know they they didn't leave. You know, they had their one little feed spot. They get their water right next to them, and they might not leave that quarter mile circle. You know for a month. Um, they're just those easterns here are locked down pretty tight. I learned a hard lesson when I was the first time I was fortunate to go up in. Uh, northern Nebraska to hunt Merriam's and uh, I uh, you know I've grew up hunting eastern turkeys so I wasn't used to doing all that walking I learned pretty quick you better pack some water when you're out hunting Merriam turkeys yep yep (laughs) and uh, (laughs) a lot more than you think you're going to need because you may be five miles from the truck before you realize it yep yep Well, we, we kind of covered all the, the questions I had on Habitat, but I, I have a couple, uh, another question for you, and, and I'll see what answer you give me here. But Randy, if you could give, you know, one or two pieces of advice to, to struggling turkey hunters or maybe people that aren't finding success out there um, to make them more successful, what would it be? Just kind of, you know, anything from, you know, calling to setups to scouting, you know, any of that, like give, give us kind of your best one or two tips to, to make you successful. Well, if I was going to give two tips, one of them would be scouting. I mean, you got to scout the area you're in. You, you know, and if you're hunting public ground, you know, you're going to be facing competition. There's going to be other hunters there. So you got to get out and scout. And the other other tip I think would is very important. Um, you know, there's you take us, you know, we got to know each other and, and friends with and Chris Parrish and a lot of people like that. There's so many chat rooms on there that talks about turkeys, where to go. You know, you can get on them all day long. And and there's so many hunters get along with hunters and they're willing to share. And maybe not up north where you are, but most <laughs> of the time down in the Midwest and places, you know, they're they're willing to share. And and I I've had a, a buddy here in Arkansas that has killed a, a bird in every state that has a turkey. And he and I have visited about how did you do that? And so much of it was just getting on a, a site and saying, hey, I'm coming to Nevada. You know, where would I go? I'm trying to kill a bird in every state. And and he was helped so much by people, you know, just other hunters and said, hey, man, you know, come here. I think you can get on this public ground and, and go to this certain area and there should be a turkey in there. So, yeah, a lot of a lot of people aren't fortunate to have their own public ground where you walk out there, and and believe me, it didn't come easy for me. I, I was fortunate and and worked hard, and and uh, and and if if I didn't happen to have a farm in Kansas, I'd still be hunting public ground today in Arkansas. Wouldn't bother me a bit, you know, because I'm going to hunt. Uh, uh, and uh, but I, I think those are the two things. I mean, get out and know other people. Yeah, yeah, and we, you know, I I'm gonna add on to the scouting. Uh, I grew up, what I, I feel is maybe the hardest turkey in the world to kill were these Easterns that they planted here in Western Washington. Um, very, very low numbers. And that was 99% of the battle. Like you couldn't kill one if you didn't find it. So we would spend literally, you know, the entire month of March out locating every morning on the weekends, just trying to have a bird, maybe two, if you got really lucky to hunt, but, and without that scouting, you would have just been, you know, dead in the water come season. So, you know, figuring out where that bird or birds like to roost, you know, kind of where his, um, you know, few spots are, he would move a little bit, but kind of his core area. And then just kind of pounding that when season came was really your best, uh, you know, bet, because if you didn't, like I said, locate that bird prior to season, um, you were scouting the entire season and not really hunting. Yeah, and you make a good point on the scouting part because, you know, even where I hunt, where there's a lot of turkeys, is amazing. I, I think of a couple of times in the last few years where we'll get up there a couple of days before season starts and go out there one morning and it'll be pretty bluebird day and cold in, in, in early April. And in one area, Jason, you know, one morning we might hear 20 to 25 turkeys gobble, it sounds like. And the very next morning go out there and you don't hear a sound. And, you you know, I swear those turkeys are living in caves. I mean, (laughs) there's, you know, how in the world can you hear 20 sitting right here and tomorrow I didn't hear a one. You know, so I try to scout several places because I can tell you 
I'm one of those running gunners. If I get out there and a bird doesn't gobble early in the morning, I'm jumping in a truck going to another spot. I'm trying to find that turkey, you know. Yeah, there's a bird out there somewhere gobbling his head off somewhere where you can hunt. So, uh, yeah, we did the same thing here in eastern Washington. We'd have a few little pieces of private we could hunt, but we would save it, you know, for a day or a slow day. Like, oh, public's on fire. We don't need to mess with our private birds. And we did a lot of, um, you know, night roosting where we would drive around on the roads as it got dark, you know, let our predator calls out, um, you know, do a bunch of, you know, peacocks, whatever, and, and locate. And these ding Merriams, they move so much on their own. You knew they weren't really getting bumped, but they would be, you know, a ridge or two over and you couldn't hear them or they just decided to roost in a different spot that night. Um, so for us kind of piggybacking on scouting, um, we did a lot of night locating after our night hunt and, and then just went and made sure we had two or three, you know, fresh birds to start on in the morning and then, you know, climbed in close and, and sat up under that tree. And that just ensured that we always have something to go on in the morning. Right. You're gonna have right. you're gonna have some live birds, you know, somewhere around you versus, you know, starting the morning running and gunning, um, you know, at least at least gets you a little bit ahead. Yeah, we do we do a lot of scouting. Even even on land we're familiar with. We're we're gonna part of it is we just wanna be outside. I mean yeah, we for sure. we enjoy you know, this is what we live for, you know, and uh so we're gonna be out there scouting no matter what. Yep. Well uh I really appreciate you taking the time from your busy day. It's about tax time, so I'm sure you're just getting um, about <laughs> overwhelmed with everything coming in. So really appreciate you uh, taking time out of your day, Randy, and uh, talking turkey and turkey habitat with us. And uh, I can't wait for a couple more months for me to get to you know join up with you there in Kansas and see if we can't do it again. Well, I'm looking forward to it too. And, and I know in April there, you guys will be down there and, and we'll have a good time. So I'll, I'll make yeah. sure we save a few for you guys. All right. Perfect. I appreciate it, Randy. I don't know if I can get my boy. He's He's got this weird phobia of ticks. So I don't know if I can get him out there for the Kansas opener. I might try to like get him through <laughs> that. Uh, get him through that here in Washington and see if uh, he can you know get through it. And then we'll uh, we'll maybe plan for Kansas in the future on a, on a youth opener. I told you, you just, I, I sent you a whole box of, of spray. Make sure you put it on his clothes, not on his skin, on his clothes. Yeah, yep. And he won't have any. He won't have any problem with this. <laughs> you need to bring your son out to youth season. It'd be a lot of fun. I mean, we, yep. if, if we, uh, you know, even get him in a in a blind or something on a on a clover field to just watch strutters come across there, he would have a good time. Yeah, I'd love for yeah. you to bring him out. Yeah, nobody understands like the severity of this like tick phobia he has though. Um, so I just I figured like him freaking out in Washington's a lot less um, of an issue than him freaking out in Kansas. And uh, well, that's what we could do. Like I said, put him in a Polaris. We'll drive him right to the blind. <laughs> there you he go. He can crawl in and get right back into Polaris. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Well, yep. Um, all right. Well, thanks a lot, Randy. Take care, and uh, we'll see you in a couple months. All right. Sounds good. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit markethouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY.